0: I'm Josh Cooperman and this is Convo by Design, exploring the work of Philadelphia interior designer Glenna Stone, a very talented creator who said this, quote, I think of design as a magical process where something that didn't exist suddenly does. And that's what I love about what I do. I love developing a complete design, a 360 degree vision that considers the intentions of the client the architecture of the space and all the while artfully combining scale, balance, proportion, texture and hue in a way that marries beauty and lifestyle. Great design is about working into a space and every single time feeling one thing this as it should be. Wow, right? Alright, here we go. Glenna's bio reads like this. Inspired by her mother, an artist, and teacher, Glenna developed her sense of color and composition at a young age. She's always had a passion for combining color, materials, and textures in an artful manner. Paralleling her creative side, Glenna embraced her strong technical skills and received a degree in engineering from Lehigh University. Upon upon graduation, she worked for Fortune 500 companies as a consultant and project manager in the consumer products industry. Magic and original thought, two things you will find in the top tier of all design work, and you're about to hear from someone who's a master of that, and you will hear more from Glenn Stone right after this.
1: I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is... The best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the US dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a US brand, a US manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory else does that nobody i have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me and you probably know this that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom steam is mandatory or it's just not considered a, a, a luxury space and if you want to add steam you have one true option it's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear Western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of Northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option, it's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. I've often compared sort of my process to that of a designer, or at least some of the designers and architects that I've spoken with, the ones that I've really enjoyed speaking to. I have found that like, if I put together a list of 30 questions, you're going to, or even 10, right? You'll look at those questions and you'll memorize the questions. And then I'll get like the, the patented answers.
2: Right. <laughs> this
1: is not, it's so funny because this You're going to get the
2: truth now. <laughs>
1: well, yes, but it's like design. It's like it's like good design. I'm not asking you anything that you don't know. This is not a math test. I'm not trying to, to trick anyone. The, the fact of the matter is, and the, the big secret to this show is that I, I love design and architecture. Like, I love what you do. I just don't possess the talent to do it. So I figured the next best thing is what am I really good at? And apparently I'm good at listening and talking and listening is one of the things that you pride yourself on. And I'm, and I'm curious, have you, have you always been that way? Because I think it's a skill that many, it takes many time to learn. Have you always been like that?
2: Um, I think I've always been a good listener, but I, I think it is a skill that you hone in on. I don't think I've always, been probably really attuned to what active listening is um, and being really present in the conversation. I think that that's so important in our field and it's something that I'm always working on, whether it's our clients, our employees, our vendors, I think it's, it's more than just listening to the words that they're saying. It's looking at their body language, how they're saying it, and kind of inferring information from, you know, what they're saying and how they're saying it. That's like really kind of that active listening and kind of an- that anticipation, getting to that level of like anticipation that you can kind of understand what they're saying without them actually saying it, if that makes sense.
1: It makes perfect sense. Isn't it interesting too that they don't teach active listening in design school? <laughs>
2: There's a lot of things they don't teach in design school. <laughs> it's so
1: true. It's so true. So, backing up, how did you get here? What's the what's the origin story?
2: Um, well, so I, you know, let's see. My my mother's an artist. Um, she is an art teacher. She does pen and ink and watercolors. She always kind of had her own art business. Um, always very creative very into kind of interior design on a DIY level, you know, made all of our curtains, reupholstered things for us. Um, And then my stepdad is a woodworker and, you know, did lots of millwork and custom furniture in our house. That's kind of how I grew up. And my mother said, you're good at math and science. Don't do anything creative. You'll never make any money. (laughs) So I was like, okay, (laughs) okay. So she said, be an engineer. You're good at math and science. So that's what I did. I went to Lehigh um, for industrial engineering. Awesome education. Loved it. Um, And ended up graduating there and becoming uh, a consultant for PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, working with Fortune 500 companies in their supply chain management. Uh, So very kind of manufacturing based and ended up staying with one of my clients, um, Gillette, who was, you know, one of my consulting clients. And then they offered me a full-time job. So I stayed there. We were living in Boston at the time. And I just, it wasn't creative enough for me. You know, it was, it was just kind of like the typical corporate world. And it was great. I was super successful. I really loved it. But I just started taking classes, photography, cooking, just doing things at night. I mean, I was in my 20s, so I had a lot more free time (laughs) and ended up uh, falling into a class at RISD at Rhode Island School of Design and Interior Design. And it was just like light bulbs went off because I am good at math and science. I love the technical, but I really crave the creative. And when I really kind of understood that, interior design was not decorating. It was so much more. There was a really kind of like construction project management aspect to it. I realized how much this was my calling. And so then I kept taking another class and another class. And then I took an AutoCAD class um, at Boston Architectural College. And finally, I was like, "I, I have to go back to school. My husband was kind of like, are you becoming a professional student? I was doing all of these at night, taking these like three hour studio classes, driving down to Providence, and I was like, "Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think I've got to do this." So I ended up um, getting my master's here in Philadelphia at Drexel in interior architecture and design. So
1: that is absolutely fascinating. So tell me something: How does the? I I have an engineering student in the family, so I'm very well. I'm very familiar with this, and I'm curious: How does that side of it, the math, science, the STEM side? Uh, inform your creative side. How do the how do those two very distinct and different personalities work together?
2: All right. Well, I think you know my background is really kind of manufacturing supply chain management. It was about process and efficiencies, and that is something that I really bring to our firm, and it has really become the foundation of how I've like grown our business. Um, it's been. I mean, it's so important. And I think having that corporate background and being able to um, understand that process is important, but it also isn't everything. I feel like when you're in a corporate world, sometimes things are over-processed. There's so much red tape that it takes so long to do things. And that's also not efficient. So I think being able to kind of bridge that gap um, of like where we need to be efficient where we need to have process and where we don't. And that's too much. And that's actually going to slow us down and and cause us to be inefficient or take too much time to do something.
1: How does that, how does that play against the creative side of it?
2: Well, I think it enables the creative side and the feedback that you know we've had from our team and from people that have come from other firms is that it actually enables them to be more creative because their mind isn't filled with what's the next step or or Hey, now that we have this what do we do you know we have such a well-defined process that it but it doesn't stifle the creativity it actually enables the creativity because there's not confusion um or your mind isn't being filled with other questions it really allows you to to be creative um, but at the end of the day, you know, we do have deadlines and we do have budgets and we do have to meet our clients' needs and construction set schedules. So, you know, unfortunately, the creative, you know, we always kind of say like the design stops when the design stops, right? Because you can continue designing and designing and designing and designing. And, you know, at some point we have to put these things into effect. So, you know, that's kind of where the process comes in.
1: It's funny. I, I, I'm probably misattributing the quote and I'm paraphrasing anyway, but I think it was, it was Picasso who said that he did 20,000 paintings and never finished a single one. And, and it's, it's an interesting idea and it's an interesting concept because when the design is done, the design is done. I, I, I guess, you know, how do you know when it's done? I, I get the renderings and when they, is it done when the client likes it? And is that good for you? Does that satisfy you creatively? Because to your point, I have spoken to other creatives who say, you know, I I just do what the client wants. But at the same time, there has to be some level of fulfillment because you're doing something that is that is creative and does not pre- previously exist before you get
2: there. Right. I mean, for for me personally, and uh, it it's. The design is done when I feel that it's complete. Um, That doesn't mean we can't, we couldn't have the opportunity to continue designing or tweaking it. And yes, I want the client to be happy, but I feel like they hired us because of our portfolio, because of our work, because of our reputation. And it's, it's my job to make sure that we fulfill that and do our work. And, you know, even if the client, you know, yes, the client has to be happy, but that doesn't, that doesn't define done that, that defines their, you know, that defines that we did our work. Um, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the project is complete or cohesive because they don't, they don't see things the way we see things. That's why they hired us. They, they might not see that that wall needs something, but it does, you know, so, um, but it, it is tricky. Yeah, because, I mean, we could keep designing forever, I feel. like We could keep tweaking things and adding things and getting more samples or just, you know, tweaking certain things. Um, But then we're going to miss our construction deadline (laughs) or we're going to miss our furniture install.
1: But here's what I find so interesting about you, and I absolutely love this. I think that, and the reason I started doing this in the very beginning, you know, I I came from, from different, I was not a... You know what? I take that back. I I am a professional student, so I I get it. I'm I'm taking another class now at MIT, so I <laughs> I totally I totally get it. Um, but in speaking with designers, I, I've come to learn designers and architects that there is no one right way of doing this. Mm-hmm. There are many incorrect ways of doing it, but when it comes to the right way to do it, there's there's a personality match there's a process match and that's kind of what I wanted to drill down on a little bit and I love your mm-hmm. your engineering background because you have and I I you know I I did a little research on your website and you have an absolutely locked down process that was definitely crafted by an engineer so and it's <laughs> and it's not one that i've ever seen before i've seen variations in cert- to certain degrees but you know it's a it here's our process it's a it's a six step process it's cut dried processed it's there for you to re- provide a comprehensive look at our five phase design and construction process okay that's step 1 right and it goes all the way down to to Part six, which is facilitates collabor- collaboration with your builder, contractor, and tradespeople during construction and installation, allowing us to deliver a tailored and beautiful crafted design. Here's why I think that that's so amazing because there are some clients that are just like, look, here's the budget, here's what I like, just get it done. There are others that are the complete opposite end of the spectrum who want to be involved in any in every step uh, along the way. And then there's the, the spectrum from one end to the other. You have approached a certain side of the business where it's like, look, we have a process, it is well-engineered, it is tested and true, and here's how we do it. And I would imagine that that makes a lot of clients feel very, very comfortable.
2: it does. I mean our our you know our philosophy is we want to advocate for them. We want to be a partner with them in the project. Um, and we want it to be enjoyable for them, but they but we want them to feel confident in the decision they made to hire us, and that we're gonna hold their vision from our first conversation until we're you know putting the final touches on their project. And as we're, Integrated into the project and working with the other design build professionals on the project, we're going to make sure that vision stays true.
1: And with that, I imagine it also takes a lot of the pressure off of, off of the overall process because it allows people to understand what's coming, what's coming next, how to do this, and now they can just focus on the creative side of it.
2: Exactly. Right. Yep. And and Um, and the nice thing about having the uh, having a process or having it so well defined is that listen, like every project isn't the same. And do are we so militant that we follow that process to every letter for every single project? Of course not. I mean, every project requires something new and unique and different and and special. And having but having that process is kind of like the 80 20 rule. It's like if we've got it, it's easier to, to it's easier for us to handle some of the things that get thrown at us that are unexpected or something that is unique on a project because we've got, we have kind of the steps laid out and we're able to, it you know, allows us to be able to pivot and actually be more adaptable and be flexible, but not miss anything along the way.
1: What's really interesting to me too, is how you, you kind of take this, this engineering well constructed crafted process you know even to your blog so you have a blog do you know that you're like one of the only designers that actually keeps up with your blog
2: <laughs> that's a compliment well cuz well, we have a is... process for it <laughs> yes yes
1: exactly but that's what's so fa- like if you go look at um if you just peruse designer websites It is the funniest thing. Like on social media, you'll see comments every 20 minutes or, you know, every it's all the time. But you look at their blog and it's like the last entry was back in 2019. (laughs) Okay.
2: Before the world shut down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's like, it's like, and they're talking about how great it is to be out amongst friends and, you know, you're at a restaurant (laughs) and all these (laughs) Um, but yeah, then it just ended. It just stopped. And I, and I do think that that's really interesting. And I wanted to ask you something that I might not have ordinarily asked you, but I, I love the engineering background. So I'm curious your approach to, or your thoughts rather on what's coming next and how you're using it. Are you using AI? Are you using ML? I mean, is machine learning something that you, envision as as part of your as part of your process your internal process you know mm-hmm. who knows maybe that's how your blogs are being written maybe you're just <laughs> no, giving chat G- maybe you're not. just giving <laughs> you're just giving chat GPT it's like okay chat GPT give me a five paragraph blog post on Deco off and Maison AFJ. Tell me what you know right. and then it'll give you and and add, by the way and add um, a few spelling errors. And one punctuation error. So people think that I actually wrote it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, if I could say incorporate these pictures and here are my thoughts and do it. No, we write, we do write all of our own blogs. Um, And I mean, it's a good question. Like what, what role is AI going to have in the future? And, you know, we haven't started using it in our firm, but it is, you know, I feel like I'm a lifelong learner. I'm not a professional student anymore, but I am a lifelong learner and constantly, you know, taking classes, reading books, educating myself. And I mean, I think that is the next, you know, the next piece that we're going to have to figure out how, you know, as designers, as design firms, as manufacturers, you know, how does that piece integrate into our industry and what does that look like? And it's right now for me, it's a little too early to tell. I mean, I do think obviously some of the writing component is an area where I do think that, um, it can probably happen fairly quickly. It's probably already happening to a degree with, with some firms um, but it's not something we've incorporated yet.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who's in um, media sales and I was, and by the way, this is so far off the subject of interior design, <laughs> but I, I'm, I, I'm loving this. So as long as you're cool with it. Yeah. Uh, but everything's I was,
2: related. I, I feel like anyway. Well,
1: so. It is, and I'll and I'll put a bow on it and and draw it back, draw the connection back because I, I do think it's really interesting. Um, so my friend in media sales, and I was ex- his his management team had asked them to start taking all of this data and inputting all of the data into a, into a spreadsheet, and he didn't know why and i basically explained to him it's so that they can replace you with a machine and he didn't understand what i was explaining to him until after i was done explaining to him and then it was like the light bulb went on i was like oh <laughs> yeah i get it because between artificial intelligence and machine learning if you can if you can come up with the you know the average the median the mean and and put in all of these data points then a machine can learn how to do it and and give you reasonable projections. So as it relates to our business, I love what designers do. And there is no way for artificial intelligence or machine learning to do what really good designers do. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. However, because our industry does embrace the trendy Um, right.
2: Yes, it does.
1: (laughs) And because we do that, there will be people who, who go, I mean, look, you had modsy and and Laurel and Wolf and, and you had all of home polish and you had Mm -hmm. all of those that are like, Hey, we can do design. And it's only $129 a room, (laughs) but you're not getting a, you're, you're getting a a decorator list,
2: right? You're not getting a design. You're getting, yeah, exactly. You're getting someone that's shopping for you. Yeah. Right. So yeah.
1: as you think about it, because of your background, because of sort of how you think, are, are you kind of ideating how this new technology will affect your design practice and how you will use it?
2: So I guess the short answer is no, I haven't really gotten, I mean, it's more like I'm in the information gathering phase. I'm trying to understand what what technologies are out there, how other people are using it, how it's being used in other industries. Because, you know, again, for me, I came from a different industry into this industry and and took some of what I kind of felt like were the best practices from, of uh, you know, from that industry and applied it to, to interior design. And so I think it's, you know, it's also just, I'm always looking at, you know, different like trends and how other companies are using them or how other industries are using them. And I think that, you know, that will, time will tell. But I I mean, to your point, I think it goes back to the active listening. Like I don't know how you teach active listening and human empathy to a machine. I mean, I'm sure there are ways to program trigger words and and certain things, but you know, for a client to be able to sit and explain to you how they live and how they use their home and their family and and really understanding kind of like, you know, I visualize my Self being my client in our in the homes that we're designing for them and that fuels the creative process for us and for me and i don't i don't think that a machine can do do that
0: you are listening to my conversation with philadelphia-based designer Glenda stone we'll be right back we are living in a time of incredible growth both technologically and creatively with respect to
1: interior design exterior design and architecture there is no question There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic, a history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at MoyaLiving.com Their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Do you think that a machine can do that over time with enough data presented?
2: I mean, probably, right? I mean, it's like, I never want to say never, but I don't think, I, I, I think the question will be, could a machine do that and the output be acceptable to a potential client? right? I mean, I feel like having a, having a, a designer do their work, I, I, I don't know, but I've always been amazed at certain things, but I feel like that process, going through that process and that journey and kind of having that human component to it produces a much better result than a machine ever could. So I think the question is, but could it be good enough, right? And like, what's what client would find that? There may be clients that would find that acceptable.
1: It's really interesting, isn't it?
2: <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> well, it,
1: you know, it, it is, um, I, I kind of lean to the other side of this, where it's not, it's not an attempt as the websites were to replace designers. I view it as a, a, an absolutely remarkable tool to allow designers to be better and to do their best work. I'll, I'll give you an example. With all of your clients and all of the things that you dur- do during the day, it's just not possible for you to research product and discover and to go find new products. Um, you know, I, I was at KBiz this year, <laughs> a million plus square feet of of space with all of these vendors and manufacturers, and then you've got KBiz over here and IBS over here, and you've got the floor covering show here, and then you've got Las Vegas market over here. It's in a week, it's not possible to cover it. But as a designer, if you can get a version of ChatGPT or another AI source, and you can, you can sort of input characteristics of your client and say what products, you know, performatively can do this and aesthetically look like that. And it'll give you a list of, you know, where there are thousands, it'll give you a list of a dozen or dozens. That's reasonable. Then you can reach out to those clients or even have, have it done automatically where then they send you samples and you've saved so much time.
2: Right. Can you
1: see using that? Can you see that being a value? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
2: I mean, that is, I mean, that's an excellent point, you know, the information kind of like gathering or sourcing or, or getting information about certain things and having, you know, having that kind of like research done by a computer instead of, you know, a person in your office, that's, that can be incredibly efficient. Um, I mean, it's interesting. It's like every technology that comes out, it's thinking, how does that integrate into your business and how does the industry or the business flex and adapt to it? You know, it's probably somewhat similar to when AutoCAD, you know, came came into our lives and, you know, the the debate of hand drawing versus CAD drawings and, you know, under and and like that thing. And same things with renderings, right? And it's like, well, now renderings can be and a super efficient tool to 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 help a client visualizing and it can actually, you know, help you sell that room to that client because they, they can't, so there's some people that just can't see it without the rendering. And it's actually, it can be actually a very efficient sales tool.
1: So you're in Philly. What is, what is the state of design and architecture like in Philly? And I, and I will, I will sort of preface the question with, I feel like between regional preferences, changing weather conditions, um, changing circumstances in a a post-COVID world, changes in how we live and performatively what we expect of our dwellings now that we really may not have prior to 2020, what is the state of design? What are you being asked for that maybe you haven't been asked for before? What are, what are some of the things that have changed in, in your view that are maybe universal that have that you have incorporated into the work that you do, that, that you see as not just a trendy item, but as something that is, is transforming the, the nature of the business?
2: so there's a, there's a couple of things i mean well health and wellness is is really is really big um, you know whether it's gyms or studios or you know we've done a couple meditation rooms in homes. so I think that there's just a greater focus on you know physical and mental wellness and you know, we just finished doing a soul cycle inspired gym for our clients that moved out of Manhattan, had a, had a weekend home in New Hope, kind of on the countryside and ended up moving in there full time. And they were both kind of Soul Cycle advocates. So we created this kind of Soul Cycle inspired, you know, workout studio for them. So I, I definitely think the health and wellness. And I mean, I think it's here to stay. I, I think that, that, you know, I, I almost feel like COVID kind of accelerated some some trends that were probably already and kind of already were in motion. And I think that's one of them. Um, I also think kind of more casual living, kind of less formal spaces that was kind of already starting. But then I think with the pandemic, people are really maximizing the use of every inch of their home and understanding how their home can be used in flexible ways. And I think COVID accelerated that trend. I feel like that was kind of already happening. Um, you know, no longer is the living room that only gets used once a year, right? It's you know, how do we use all of these spaces for a variety of different situations that may occur in our house? Um, and I and I think that is absolutely something that we're seeing here as well.
1: Do you have a do you have a punch list for what? wellness design looks like, feels like, must include. So while everyone has their own individual requests and that, that affect them individually, are there some universals in wellness design?
2: Well, you know, if you kind of look at it from a sustainability standpoint, I mean, in a home, indoor air quality is really important. Um, So you know, one of the things that we always talk to our clients about are plants and plant life. Um, You know, we, we had a client that was looking at doing a kind of like a green living wall in their gym. Um, We didn't end up moving forward with it, but we did a lot of research around it. And I think that that's a a big component. Other than that, um, it's so individual um, because like what health and wellness means to one person might be lifting weights and doing cardio and having machines and wellness to somebody else might be a yoga mat and some pillows on the floor and being able to have meditation. So it's, it's hard to have a prescription for that because, you know, what we do is, you know, customize our designs to the way that people live and what they value and what's important to them. So that's very individualized and it could be individual with within a household, right? Like a husband could do X kind of exercising and wife could do Y exercising. And um and we have to figure out a way to make that work in, you know, in one space and accommodate everybody's wish list.
1: Tell me about the kitchen. Something that I have been absolutely fixated on for quite some time is is the kitchen. Um because one of the most Rapidly, I we are we are in a kitchen renaissance right now. I mean, it is just absolutely stunning to me. I was talking about this recently with someone else, how you know, being a growing up in LA and watching this idea of the kitchen, which you know, heart of the home, and then there's the outdoor kitchen, and the outdoor kitchen is in competition with the indoor kitchen for attention because in LA you can be inside, outside right equal time and then just this massive explosion in secondary kitchens yeah, whether it's exactly. whether whether, whether it's thing. whether it's a dirty kitchen a uh, strictly working kitchen um a kosher kitchen or even the various offshoots the scullery the butler's pantry even down to a wet bar or a coffee bar or something mm-hmm. that is so personal in nature down to The weed bar, you know, a a designer. Yes. A designer. uh, Do you have, is there recreational use legal in Philly yet?
2: I think it's kind of legal. I don't know the rule. I don't follow it anymore because I feel like I can't keep up with it. It's always changing.
1: Yeah. But it's stunning because you have medicinal on one side and then you have recreational on the other. Recreational is is like LA and New York, where it's like, yeah, Katie, bar the door. You can just go buy weed everywhere and you don't need a car. Philadelphia
2: is not quite like that.
1: Okay. So with many of these designers that I've spoken to, you know, the idea of the weed room has, has taken the place of a a cigar lounge in a home. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got your air filtration, but you've also got your, your humidification Mm -hmm. and you've got your, you know, you've got, you've got a, a refrigerator and you've got some other things there that, that make that experience um, more fulfilling, but it seems like the offshoot to the kitchen. The kitchen's just like having a moment, and I'm and I'm curious what you've seen and how that's manifested itself in your design and your work.
2: Sure, I mean, pretty. I mean, obviously, a condo in in Philadelphia, we're not going to have these secondary spaces, but pretty much every other project in the suburbs does have some type of. And, you know, all of the above that you mentioned at at a minimum, some kind of like wet bar or dry bar beverage centers are kind of, we've seen a lot, whether it's, you know, coffee or juicing or, um, you know, things for the kids. And then there's the wine bars and, and we were doing a space right now, we've got a massive kitchen. Then we have this like beverage area, beverage kind of center. And then we have um, in their sunroom. We're doing like a whole kitchen that that leads to their pool, and that's where they're going to have popsicles for the kids, and you know beverage, you know beverage refrigerators, and you know everything. So it, I think, I think with the advancement of all of these kind of smaller appliances, like refrigerator drawers and and under the counter, you know refrigeration solutions that it's, there's really an option to do it everywhere. I mean, we just did one in a primary bedroom, you know, a whole coffee bar. Um, I mean, it's like a mini kitchenette in there, in their bedroom. So it, it is really growing.
1: <laughs> it, it is. And, you know, with that comes this, this approach. And again, I, I kind of want to, want to draw back to your, your engineering background and the thought process it, in so far as, you know, like I'm looking at your website and I'm looking at one of your projects, the, uh, the new hope farmhouse. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this kitchen. There is so much going on here. I mean, the kitchen looks like it takes, it, it takes over two rooms. And by the way, so I do this That's- all the time. So the folks, if you're, if you're listening to the show, go to the show notes and you can you can click on a link for glennastone.com and you can go to portfolio and see which projects we're actually looking at right now. But this this New Hope farmhouse kitchen, I love this space. It's vast. It's it's, it's big.
2: Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So yes.
1: Fantastic. Take me through the process of designing this space. And with you, I'm even I, I kind of want to drill down a little bit further. You know, there's I I love kitchen designers and I love talking about kitchen design because most of the performative value that goes into kitchen design aren't things that you necessarily see mm-hmm. but but how they how they act and react how clients rather act and react to where things have been placed and how they've been placed there and how you use them so this one is just it's it's big and it's broad. It looks like it's part of an open concept space as well. how did you how did you navigate this? How did you put it together?
2: Right, well, we spend a lot of time, especially, I mean, for all of our spaces, but really in a kitchen, it's a multi-layered process because we really understand you know where where in this particular case there, you know, they had lived in this house, their kids were grown and out of the house, but came back a lot, you know, with their significant others and spouses. And, you know, understanding, okay, so how do you use this kitchen? Um, it's on a farm, they have, you know, gardens, they cook a lot. So really understanding what type of kitchen is this? Is this a kitchen where people are actively cooking in every day? Is this a kitchen that you might you know have a chef that's in and you come home and you kind of heat up meals you know what 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 types of activities are happening in this kitchen that's kind of where we really start kind of just foundationally because i do think the i i always kind of tell people we can make the kitchen look beautiful but, but it has to function for you that's pr- that's like the primary focus of a, of a, of a good kitchen design um, and you know you're right behind all those cabinets are Lots of things that you don't see, right? Like the pop-up stand mixer and in the mirrored cabinet is a meal-a built-in coffee bar with a pull-out countertop. So, you know, it is like really understanding, you know, how they use a kitchen. And then we start with appliances because I think for me, that's the technology component that we have to incorporate into the kitchen. And that is so personal. I mean, we are not appliance experts and we, you know, we, we never advertise, you know, advertise, we can say what things they should look at. And of course we're up on the new appliances, but ultimately, you know, we want to, we will walk our clients through that process to help select their appliances from a function standpoint, and we will work with them on different sizes and, and things that will work in the kitchen. And that's where we really kind of like just start laying out where are the appliances, how did, they fit into the space you know in this particular kitchen they actually wanted their main sink in their pantry that overlooks their farm um, because when they entertain they didn't want to have all the dishes in the island they didn't want to have this kind of like mound of, of of you know things that were kind of sitting there to be cleaned up so they put their main sink out of the way and um and of course then we you know multiple dishwashers and and really kind of figuring out how they wanted this kitchen to function for them So that's really kind of where we start and then we start then that's kind of like the first round or two and then we really start putting our touches in terms of like the finishes and and like the detailing of it and while we're doing that we're looking at the organizational components and how we can you know hide things or what cabinets need to contain you know how are we gonna how are we gonna hold your spices your oils your you know if you know the big baker all of your baking things i mean we've had requests for avocado station like guacamole stations and kitchens so You know, it's um, so it's kind of, you know, figuring out all those little nuances of what people kind of value in their kitchen and really truly need. Um, And that's to me, that's so exciting. I mean, that's why I think kitchen design never gets old because you're always getting some new request or you're always trying to figure out a way to make someone's life easier in the kitchen. And I love it when we have clients that really use their kitchen because that makes it so much more meaningful um, for the work that we're doing. And, and they get so much joy and we get so many, you know, phone calls. Oh my like, God, this is amazing. Like we had our first, like, we had our first dinner party, like this family in New Hope, like we had our first Christmas Eve. Um, so that's where you really feel that like you're impacting people's lives.
1: So tell me the difference as you view it between your residential work in your commercial work.
2: Mm -hmm. So I love them both for very different reasons. Our residential work, I do feel like is more impactful to how people live. And it feels very, very rewarding in that, in that regard. People are very emotionally tied to the project. Um, There's definitely, you know, more emotional triggers, um, certainly tied to the budget more. and Sometimes less about the timeline, right? Like, they, yes, they don't want this to drag on forever, but they're making an investment and they want it to be how they want it, right? And they and they want to love it. On the commercial side, oftentimes I think we, you know, the the biggest the biggest drivers are budget and time. You know, they, and and they're not the you know in the corp in the kind of our commercial work, like they have other jobs, like they are working this is, this is like part of their work is to do some type of like office renovation. And so they trust us to just get it done as long as it's on time and on budget. And, you know, they're usually pretty happy because of course, you know, we're going to, we're going to do beautiful work and we're going to meet their needs and we're going to have a process and it's going to go well. Um, but so that, that's like very different. Um, but at the same time, I and mean, we've had spaces where we've done for you know wealth management firms, and we're actually in talk in talks right now for another um, healthcare company. And you know, I you know in on my you know initial meeting with them, kind of talking to their employees about what they love about their space and what they don't love about their space. And it's you know you get to also impact people's lives in a different way um, when you're working in the commercial space. So.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's different, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a different vibe. And, and I, I was looking at, you know, some of your commercial work. One of the, one of the commercial projects I was actually looking at is what you did for your own firm. Mm. So you designed your, your own studio. How are you for a client? Are you a good client?
2: <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I'm yeah. completely out of process. <laughs>
1: yeah. All change orders, right?
2: That's so many change orders.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, when it came to designing your own firm, were you able to put into practice your own process? And, and did you, look, I asked the question because I find that fascinating. We don't often have an opportunity to self-test. So I'm curious how that, how that process worked for you.
2: Well, no, because I mean, here's the thing, like it was, there was no process for this. I mean, it was just a little bit on the fly. I mean, yes, there was a vision and yes, we had some drawings, but they probably weren't dimensioned as well as they should have been because I'm running a business and I don't necessarily have the time to do that. So no, it was, it was awful. I mean, and then we took over the, we took over this, the next, the floor (laughs) above us and that, you know, that was like a year and a half long, renovation, still not quite done, but we're using the space that I'm sitting in now. So, yeah, I mean, it's I already it's hard to fit in an office renovation into your, you know, seven to nine p.m. job. Right. So it doesn't necessarily look pretty, if I'm being honest, on the other side. But it looks pretty, actually, when you see it. But the process. wasn't so
1: pretty. Look, and by the way, I think that's probably the best education you can get is putting oneself through that and having that be the process of self-discovery so that you can make the experience even better for those you serve.
2: Absolutely. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're going through our own kind of renovation project now at at our house and that's been that's now that's been eye opening, right, because I really you really put yourself in the shoes of your clients and you understand, I mean, I understand the construction fatigue that happens to everybody, but it really, you know, it's, it's certainly real and understanding that, you know, that our client, what our clients are going through and being able to have that empathy for, for what they're experiencing, you know, because, you know, I'm I'm always like, you're going to love it on the other side. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like we're here to help you, but, um, but it's real. It is definitely real.
1: The struggle is real. The design struggle is real. Um Glenna, this was so great. I I I love this conversation. I really appreciate the time. Thank you for doing this.
2: Oh, thank you. I love talking to you. Um, thank you so much for having me on your on your podcast. I listen to it all the time. I listened to your Aiden one um about AI. So that that was so I was wondering, I'm like, am I gonna get an AI question? But (laughs) You did. Yeah, I did.
1: So Thanks, Glenna.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile... Natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available. Stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place.
0: Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world. 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Thank you, Glenna. Loved our chat and truly appreciate the time. Thank you, Convo by Design Partners and Sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware. You make this show possible, and I truly appreciate you. Speaking of appreciation, thank you for listening, subscribing, and downloading the show. Without you, I mean, seriously, what's the point? Please keep sharing this little podcast entering our 11th year with some truly fun things in store over the coming weeks and months. But please share it because that's how we find new listeners. Did you catch our first episode of Drinking About Design recently? We're drinking and telling stories about design. You're going to love this. Make sure you check it out. You can find more in the show notes. On the way, uh, you will hear more episodes of drinking about design in addition to some very special convo by design episodes coming your way thanks for listening until next week be well and take today first